Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Cheering crowd sound, it's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. Hey guys, this is Keith from Cruelcon, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. Yes, 
Keith, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Here's Brian. Pleasure to be here. It's fantastic now. It's uh, I feel like I'm honoured I'm having Irish metal <laughs> royalty here on the podcast, so... Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a couple of things to talk about now. I suppose, first of all, Eurovision. What's this I hear about you guys are, are after applying to do it again this year? Yeah, so Eurovision's an interesting one, especially considering we tried last year and we, did, we, we didn't make it. But it was just with our submission last year, the fact that we got to the last 10 and then six of those go to the RTE final. I thought, oh, you know, skin of our teeth. Will we? Won't we? So uh, we decided we will. We'll 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 take some lessons learned. Did a new song and we we've submitted it. But our whole Eurovision journey started way back in 2014. We were on tour in Ukraine, and I think it was the from what I remember, it's the head of Google in Ukraine. I know the guy like he's my Facebook friend. I just can't remember his name. And he came up with the idea, would, would you guys be interested in representing Ukraine? If, if you're working with one of our national singers, you'd be kind of the band Cruelcon with, I can't remember her name now, oh God, get, really getting old. <laughs> but um, the plan was we'd write a song together, she'd be the lead vocal, and it'd be a collaboration type of thing. In the end, that was when Russia started their shenanigans and invaded Crimea, and pretty much they... Ukraine decided to call the whole thing off, so um, they they didn't didn't enter Eurovision that year. That was the end of it. But it kind of left the seed in in the head, you know, like made me think about it. Well, why represent another country? Why not represent Ireland? So so that's where it came from. And I have some friends that work in RTE, um, not very high up, but you know they're watching the Eurovision over the last couple of years and saying, guys, would you just not give it a try? You know. I think we need something different, but ultimately they're not the decision makers. It's there's a, a big, there's like 300 industry professionals. We're told that pick um, apparently four songs, and then two are picked by the heads of RTE, and they go forward. So we'll see what happens. We're we're happy with the song. Um, we just have to wait and see, and it could be any day. It's we're just into November now. We should hear something in the next couple of weeks. So fingers crossed. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. I have to say, though, when I first heard of it last year, I kind of thought to myself, you guys are a bit too cool for Eurovision. I feel like Eurovision these days is kind of, it's not taken too seriously, you know? You could say, I mean, I, I know where you're coming from, but like, what what does that even mean? Like, if you get onto Eurovision, you're you're in front of an audience of, of hundreds of millions, like, essentially. Um, and look at the, the winner from not last year, the year before, Manskin. Not my cup of tea, but pretty good rock band from Italy. Um, nothing cringy about them at all. I'm not a fan of their music. And that was only two years ago. It, it, what I would call a really decent, good band won the thing. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's just the campy side of it. And there's no doubt Eurovision is just way out there. But um, I don't know. I think it'd be good fun. I think we got to play some metal. And, you know, we, we, we even with this new song, Although we we changed it a little bit to kind of mold it into what we think people might be interested in hearing, we actually made it a more of a crew, more a more true Cruicon song than the Blacksmith. Um, like there's there's aggressive screamy vocals in there, stuff that on the last song we were thinking, oh, we better not do screamy vocals because it'll turn a lot of people off. Um, so yeah, we we just went full tilt with it this time. So we'll see. Now it's not crazy black metal like. Kruikon run the full gamut of extremity from black metal to just like straight up heavy metal. We're down on that other side for for that for the the Eurovision stuff, but there's a bit of aggression there in the vocals. So it'd be cool if it got in, like you know, even in even if we got to the televised final in Ireland, even just one of those last six, it'd be a bit of vindication at the show. Like people are listening and people do want a bit of a change, but ultimately that then it goes to the televised vote and it's totally out of our hands. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, fingers crossed anyway. It'd be great to kind of get Ireland back to the days where we used to kind of win almost every year, you know? You know, do you remember that time? It was three years in a row and, and they were great songs. Like you had, um, there was Charlie McGettigan and, and the other guy with Rock and Roll Kids. Now it was a simple ballad song, two guys with acoustics. And then you had Emer Quinn with The Voice and that was just a beautiful Celtic song. It was so Irish. And if we could go back to that. Now we, we've gone back to that but with heavy metal, that's what that's our bread and butter. You know, that's what we do. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully something happens. 
fingers crossed we'll uh we'll be all uh praying for you anyway yeah great yeah. to see you might actually watch it this year if you guys are in I it. Know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you know you guys released the living and the dead this year and it kind of seems like so long in the industry you're finally getting the recognition you deserve what is it about this album you think speaks to so many people well i think this album's definitely been the best reviewed, but I know the last 10 years we've seen a lot more recognition. Across, now across the world, we've always had a fan base. We've done well. In Ireland, from the early days, we struggled. And it was in the metal scene when we were just, you know, insular and within the metal, metal scene, people thought it was ridiculous what we were doing. It was like, the, the lads and Tala are, are, are off their heads. Like, what's this folk music mixed with metal? This is the very early 90s. The most way out there, thing at that time which was a big influence for me was nocturnus when they introduced keyboards and and they build themselves death metal with keyboards and it was a huge thing a lot of people hated it it's like you can't have keyboard and death metal it just goes against everything that death metal is and then like a year or two later cruelcon come along with every instrument you can think <laughs> of and it, it, we, we you know we were pretty serious about what we were doing we did get recognition because we got a big record deal quickly and, and we had century media trying to, to sign us within two years but in ireland it was just like wow this this is terrible what you guys are doing <laughs> and i always say in interviews that's across europe there were there were all of these folk music revivals where it became really cool to like to get into folk music and find that kind of paganism the, the cultural kind of stuff we never had that in ireland because folk music never died out it's it's omnipresent it's always been here so as kids we grow up listening to our dads, listening to folk music. So immediately, oh, that's what my dad listens to. You hear it on advertisements all through the 80s and the 70s, selling out from biscuits to cigarettes. It's always there. That's why I think a lot of the 90s kids in the metal were just like, oh, why would you want folk music? That kind of stopped. We've got a lot of respect now in Ireland and beyond. Um, and we've seen that with the the kind of the trilogy of blood when it started with nine years of blood things really really began happening for us that's when we we started playing the hell fests and the seventy thousand tons of metal all of those big festivals this year with the new album it's kind of frustrating because we're just out of covid we we struggle to find festivals this year when we should be out on the festival circuit from promoting this album now next year is looking great we've already got five festivals confirmed there will be more to come but it's just that COVID hangover. I'm reaching out to festivals who are either this year or last year, they're finally putting on the full show that has been cancelled for two or three years running. And they've had lineups copied over, over, over. So the timing was terrible to actually release what may be the best album of her career. But what, what can you do? You just need to roll with it. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. That's it. And can you give us a glimpse behind the curtain? You know, I'm sure many listeners now that are familiar with you would love to see what way you guys work. So when it comes to making new music, how does the process work? So it's usually me. Like we've we've had a, a, a lot of um, band member turnover and it's not being true drama or anything. It's just the length of time we're going. You know, John Colossi, the bass, uh, bass player, he left. 12 years ago, probably more. Am I putting too many years on him? Yeah, I'm, I'm really aging him. But he left about 12 years ago. And he always said, when I hit 40, I'm done. I'm leaving it. I'm leaving the band. And he did. So it's like, wow, you, you really, really had that goal in, in mind and fair play to you. So we have him on, back in the band a lot of times. Um, you know, there's been turnover recently with albums. So ultimately, I'm the only original member the creating member the, the driving force all that kind of stuff but i've always been the main songwriter and, and that's one thing that's kept us going as well i've never depended on other people um i can i can like the, the whole new album was pretty much 100 percent written by me previous albums um there were there was definitely collaboration with, with the other members um and you know that even saying that it's not accurate because i'll come up with music we'll rehearse it with the new lineup in the studio and there'll be a lot of like that's not working what if you try this and oh, you know that's great maybe push that out another four bars instead of ending it where where you're thinking of ending it. and as always a drummer never gets credit because essentially they are writing their entire drum parts now even on that i'll have some ideas well this is a blast beat or, or this is a slow part but ultimately drummers don't seem to get the credit they they really do because yeah. I always say they are writing their own parts for nearly every <laughs> song. But the process is 
yeah, I just usually come up with a few riffs um, throughout the years, some melodies, get some ideas, record them on my phone. And then I go through a kind of creative sport where I'll start recording and trying to flesh out full songs. Um, I mean, that's it. Interestingly, there's a track on the new album that has a, a kind of a trash metal riff right in the middle of the song, The Crow, which was a really cool video single that we released. There's a cool trash metal part right in the middle. Like that, that riff was written like 31 years ago. And oh, it was always, I have to get that. And 31 years ago, we were mad into the black metal stuff. And I thought, oh, that's not going to work on the black metal stuff. I, I'll try to get that in somewhere else. Then we kind of, we fell off the radar around 97, 98. On Wikipedia says we broke up. We didn't really break up. We just weren't doing anything. And then, you know, that riff just slips out of your mind for 15 years. And then it comes, <laughs> oh, remember that cool riff I had? And and lo and behold, there you go. That's that's like, the, there is a riff on that album that's 31 <laughs> or 22 years old, which is insane. Um, and that's pretty much it. So I'll come up with the, the bits, get a kind of rough cut across to the guys. Um, then we get into the studio, work through it. I might go up to Joe or bass player. Joe's a very good friend of mine, an old friend. He was the, one of the original drummers way back. Uh, he left and then came back playing bass. So we would trash out a few bits, get some ideas. But ultimately in the studio, when we're rehearsing, we decide if it's working or not. And even when we're recording, there's a lot of um, collaboration and ideas and um, just 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 experimentation that happens when we're back when we're in the studio recording. So it's it's hard to say if there's a defined process, but that that's that's kind of it, I think. Right, ish, right. ish. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. One thing that stuck out at me though is, you know, you're the driving force. You're the the constant member. How has that affected your ego? You know, are you kind of like this is my band? You do it my way. It, it, there, there's there can be a little bit of that, and that can frustrate people. Um, like I I have a vision, I have a set of goals, um, I've I've standards, I've things that I expect. I've spent thirty one, I think it's thirty three years now, working on this. And in a lot of ways, I'm lucky because I am the main person. If it was a band that depended on four people, they would. It's very hard to make that last over that length of time. Um, so I'm lucky in that way. When the new guys came in, I, I literally said to all of them, said, look, I'll be writing pretty much every note of this new album. And there's a couple of reasons to that. When you're established in the band, and I know you're not going to leave within six months having written half the album, um, you'll definitely have a little bit more uh, influence, a little bit more say, and a little bit more creativity. But at the moment, you're all fresh and, and new, and I, 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 I don't want too much input from people that are only newly in the band and may not be interested in staying in the band. But that was two years, three years ago. So they are now Cruicon, like Audrey, Tom and Joe and me are the band that we, we, we gel, we get on so well. Um, so create cre creativity wise, there will be a lot more involvement from them because we are now a full on unit, but yet there can be that little bit of, um, it's not an ego. It's, I think as I as I explained there, it's just you don't want to upset the balance. You don't want to upset what you've worked so hard to achieve. Um, I can see why people would say like, "Oh, that you know, it's it's an ego thing." Like, "Oh, it's it's my way or the the highway." But there, there's a lot more to it than that, as I hopefully explained. <laughs> no, you did, you did. Makes sense, makes sense. And at this stage, so I'd love to dive into your history when it comes to music to give the listeners some insights where you come from. So it's a bit of a tricky one now, but can you remember your earliest musical memory? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, well, there's been music through my all through my life. I remember some of the songs my dad listened to. I, I even remember my dad listening to the Pogues in the 80s. So I would have been before I got into metal. And they were just coming out on the scene. And God, I hated them. I was like, God, this my dad in from the pub on a Sunday afternoon. And oh, I oh, hated Shane McGowan. So interested to see how that went. Like, he's a hero yeah. of mine now. And I got to work with him. But like from the metal side of things, it was definitely, I was always, you know, the younger brother looking at what my bigger brother John was doing. So when he was into Madness and, and the ska music, I was like, yeah, I love Madness. You know, I'm probably eight years old. Oh, I love Madness. <laughs> and no, today I do love Madness. I love ska. I've loved it for years. So when John started hanging around with the, the heavy metal crowd, started listening to Metallica and Slayer, same here. That's what I started listening to. And we've got some cringy memories. Like you're talking a year before I joined my first band as a death metal vocalist when I was 13. 
there's memories of me being 11 and 12 years of age, just like following my brother and his heavy metal mates around. They're probably five, six years older than <laughs> me, just like to be near them. And mm. uh, they always, John always said, like, I, I would just randomly, like an idiot, just shout Slayer, like as if the, <laughs> that's going to make them accept me. The fact I've shouted a, a metal band out. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> There's some of my earlier memories yet. Yeah, they're not really great. <laughs> they're cringy. <laughs> oh believe me i've heard worse now i've heard worse <laughs> and can you pinpoint the exact moment then that sparked the desire to become a musician um yes i definitely can or, or can i i i had my dad's old guitar and i was in i know i was really into metal um i was 12 years of age few of the lads were a little bit older than me i was hitting about 13 we, we decided we'd form our own band hadn't a clue what we were doing i was the vocalist and i just started screaming i was really into napalm dead so listen to um mick harris with his screamy vocals and millie from creator way back in the early 90s i thought that's and this was before the black metal explosion so i wasn't really exposed to the dark thrones or any of this this was before that where that extreme black metal vocal became so popular the likes of napalm dead carcass and creator were doing it already so I, I started screaming as a, that that young kid, twelve year old, into the into like we we'd record, we'd rehearse with like a few amps, drums, uh, we'd no PA or anything like that. So we'd record on a stereo, and I just kind of hold the stereo here, and I'd be screaming all the way. No one can hear me. Then when we play back the rehearsal, you can hear my vocals on the on the oh, rehearsal nice. tape on the cassette tape, um, and it was terrible. But my sister. He was a few years older than me. He was going out with a guy, Martin Cal, and he was in a band called Crypt, and they were excellent. Like, if you, I recommend checking out some of the demos. They're very, very badly recorded. I think it's 1992 is when we did our first demo. Um, but you hear the technical death metal that was being done there. Like, things should have happened with that band. They didn't. But yeah, Martin was going out with my sister, and he heard some of the rehearsals, and he needed a vocalist. So these were like 17 and 18 years old. I'm like 12, this, this little kid. But they were like, wow, about about the vocals. So that was the first time I joined a real band was was through, through that kind of method. That's the early memories of how I got into music. But actually, no, what I was saying was when I was rehearsing with Crypt and the band before that, we were called Puss, P-U-S, Pure right. Utter Shite. That's what, <laughs> that, that, that's what we were going for. I used to always come back after the rehearsals, watching the guys on guitars, and I'd have my dad's acoustic guitar flat on my, my lap, and I'd just be using my thumb up and down, trying to do, like, Scum by Napalm Dead, boom, 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 boom. I remember, like, my sister and my mom coming in, like, oh, isn't he lovely, like, trying to learn the guitar? But <laughs> there we are. That That's where the roots are. <laughs> <laughs> right. And your local music scene growing up then, what was it like, and how do you think it compares to today? Oh, I mean, it's very similar. Way back then, I remember, well, first of all, when I was with Crypt and in the earlier stuff, it was it was cool and it was great. There was a lot of support. And I told you what happened with Cruelcon. There was a lot of like, what are these guys doing? It's it's too out there. Um, but we still got a lot of interest. People came to the, the gigs and so on. But I always remember back then there was a lot of begrudgery. And that's still there in the Irish scene. People wanted to do okay, but not too okay, you know. Uh, so with people like the last 10 years for Cruelcon, like you just look at their Spotify monthly listeners were probably one of the most listened to metal bands in the country outside probably Tin Lizzy or somebody like that. Gamma Bomb from the North. Wow, David, amazing fan base as well. But it's interesting to see that we do have that support now because way back then, no, it, it was totally different. There was that kind of begrudgery thing. Everyone at the in the crowd back then probably in a band and they're just looking at you, you know hmm, he's okay but mm. you know i hope, hope he makes a cock up here and and that kind of thing um i think it's a bit better now i think there's a there's a lot more support for irish bands back then it was a little bit it was a bit of a cringe factor like oh these are irish you know they're not this isn't the real deal yeah. now you look at the likes of primordial the, us playing all these festivals that the support and fan base we have it's okay for Irish fans now to kind of go, yeah, these are great. You know, we, we do love them. When we play Dublin, we, we try to play Dublin at least once a year. And, uh, you know, it's funny to say it, but at least half the crowd is Irish because there's so many different nationalities in our country. But at least half, if not more, are Irish. They travel from around the country to get to the Cruel Con gig. They're wearing their shirts. 
and they're respecting and really appreciating what they appreciating what they hear. It just was not like that back then. Bands were not signed. I think it was us and Primordial were the two first proper record deal um, signings that bands had in the country, and that things got better after that. So no, I think things are actually much better. There's a little bit of similarity. There's a little bit of begrudgery still there. No way is it to the extent of what I remember like almost 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm often trying to explain that to my American guests, the whole Irish begrudgery. It's like, we want you to do well, but not too well. Kind of stay in your place, you know, and they just don't get it at all. You know, it's just something that's not in their culture, I suppose. I know. And isn't it the same, like, for everything in Ireland? Like, I've seen some, like, comedians and different sketch shows on TV, and they're pointing out the very same thing. So it's not just unique to the metal scene. It's just unique to the Irish psyche, I think. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's weird. And it's called Concerts That Made Us. So as a concert goer, what concerts would you say have made you? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. So I have to point out the first concert I was ever at, I can remember, and I was super young. It's a band that nobody has probably ever heard of, but they were a local heavy metal band. They played in McGonagall's in Dublin, a legendary um, venue that's long gone. We used to go to a lot of um, metal club nights there, right very close to um, Bruxelles Bar, where, where um, Phil Linnett's statue, statue is. Yeah. You're, you're talking a minute walk from there, you'd be in McGonagall's. So there's a local heavy metal band called Chancer Icarus. Um, they were just doing the rounds. I can't remember if they did original stuff or covers, but I remember just hearing the heavy guitars. This is before I was in, but it was probably when I was in the band Puss about to join Crypt or just before Crypt. I remember just being in awe, like seeing these guys on stage, just going, wow, this is a real heavy metal band. And back then there was a little bit of, um, heavy metal wasn't ex- as accepted as it is now. There was a bit of, you know, it was a real rebellious thing to, to be into heavy metal and the classic your mom would say oh it's just a phase that he's going through and <laughs> um, so i had all that as the 12 year old i could have been 11 at that concert kind of go oh wow this is real cool and it's kind of you know my parents probably don't want me here listening to this this is amazing so that really had an effect on me um and of course the first gig metal or otherwise that i've ever been at but yeah it's a shame it wasn't like iron maiden or something like that <laughs> um after that, what really stood out to me, I think Iron Maiden recently, I think in 2014 in Dublin, and we were jumping way ahead now. I just thought it was a standout gig because a lot it was before their new album, and a lot of people were saying they're past their sell by date. They're you know they're a bit of some people were saying has beens. They're never going to be has beens, but I went to see that concert. Just a little bit of that going on in my head. Place was packed in the O2 Arena. They put on one of the most amazing live shows I've ever seen. And they're, you know, they're pretty old. You know, yeah. they weren't in their 70s then. I'm not sure what age they are now. But they're all in their early to mid 60s. And man, they were just giving it socks. And I just thought, this is what live music, this is what metal is about, you know. Uh, it, it just blew me away. Another really cool memory. And it's, it's around the same time. Um, it was Twisted Sister in Hellfest in 2016, I think. So Hellfest 2016, Cruelcon played there. And it's funny when you're playing a concert, when you're playing a festival like that, you're backstage hanging out with, with bands you're probably a fan of. You're on the same level as they're all your peers. So bands that you see, like, oh, I'm gonna see this band, this band, this band, but you're backstage chatting with them all. You end up missing all of the concerts because <laughs> you're just in the zone and having great conversation. But I made a point of getting out to see Twisted Sister, and it was just incredible. Um, I was I was never really a fan of them. I used to think they were super cringy. I always thought they were like Bon Jovi or or Guns, not not really Guns, but Bon Jovi or Def Leppard. They did that type of music. You're talking maybe only 10, 15 years ago. I realized no, they're actually a full on heavy metal band. Just they look like this, you know. <laughs> so I kind of got into their stuff, and that concert at Hellfest just blew me away. Again, they're older, they're on stage. I don't know what it is about just seeing the older guys rocking out. I always say to myself, I want to be still doing this. You know, when I'm in my 60s and 70s, I want to be up on stage playing music. And I think that's why those, the three shows I mentioned there, the first one I've ever seen, those two later ones, they really resonate. It's just, I have such respect for these guys that 
just keep doing what they're doing and and not not nothing will stop them you know yeah yeah i think it needs to be said though it's uh if they're still good if they're still capable i think there's nothing worse than seeing a band that are in their 70s that just yeah. can't do it either you know yeah no you're absolutely right and i've i've heard some stories luckily i've not witnessed any but I think recently, like in the last 12 months, everyone's talking about Guns N' Roses and saying like Axel just, I know they've dropped the, the songs down a couple of keys to try help with his vocals. Um, yeah, a lot of people are saying about Axel Rose and Guns N' Roses. So that's, I did watch one of the concerts actually there a few months ago. I think it was, that I can't remember what it was. Just everyone saying, oh, you got to hear how bad this is. And I think it was, it, was it Glastonbury or something? Someone was, in England. It was, wasn't it? It was Glastonbury. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't great. So yeah, that's, that's a prime example of what you're talking about right <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the moment we're all waiting for your own gigs for any listeners that haven't been lucky enough to catch one, give us the full experience if you can. What is it like? Well, I mean, when we played Dublin, we tried to give a, a show um we stick to festivals mostly uh over the last couple of years we haven't really toured i i find touring is awful i just don't like it i don't like being on the tour buses and the amount of drinking and just craziness like i just can't hack that anymore after two nights on the booze i'm i'm done i can't do it last kind of tour we did was a five or six day tour of scandinavia about six years ago and even then i just i can't i just can't do this we stick to festivals as much as we can so when we play festivals we're kind of at the mercy of where we are on the, on the set can't really put on the kind of show we can we we do in dublin or when it's our own headline show so in dublin if, if you got if you can make it to a dublin show it's it's quite an experience we always have our viking celtic reenactment group joffer drenger they appeared in the um the what's the, the reaper video and uh, they look look amazing so if you're going to see us in for example the grand social before you arrive or if there is a queue we used to play the button factory and there'd be a long queue of people getting in but they would do full exhibitions and you know, fights and battles outside and oh, so so cool like while you're queuing you're seeing this same with the grand social like we just played the grand social um one month ago actually the 7th of october last month we played there it was a rainy day. They couldn't do as much as normal, but they were outside. All of the, the reenactments were taking place. Um, when we finally get on stage, we have them. They come on. There's Celts. There's, there's, there's Vikings. There's battles. We're all in costume. Um, we bring up former members on stage a lot. So we had my brother John was there. Uh, he came up, played some whistles and flutes and some tracks. Then halfway through the uh, the show we bring up Kim Dilla. Kim is our live female vocalist because we had a huge period in Kruokon's history where we had Karen Gilligan as our lead vocalist. So a lot of songs are written with, with Karen in mind. So when we played that era of Kruokon, we need we need a female vocalist. And there's female vocals on the new album as well. So Kim, when we can make it happen, she's our live female vocalist. And Kim is 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 amazing. She used to she was the vocalist for Gwar. She was Volvatron mm. for Gwar. And, she does all the, the the stage clothes for so yeah. many of the biggest metal bands. Like she's unbelievable, um, and she's such a presence on stage. So when she comes on, just things get you know turned up to eleven as well on stage. <laughs> so it's really cool. Now, having said that, I watch back our videos, and we all, we are sometimes criticized for being too static on stage, and you know we're not giving it loads. And you know sometimes in my head, I think I'm. I'm 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 giving it I like I'm gonna have a brain hemorrhage. I'm just going insane. Then I watch the video back and I'm probably like this, you know. <laughs> right. But what can I do? I can I can only do what I can do. Well, sometimes I've and another there's a habit that I have where I'm constantly staring at my hand, you know, on the car, and I I don't need to, you know, I should be more in interaction with the crowd. So that's something I've personally have been trying to work on. But it's hard when you're on stage, you're just in a zone. Um and yeah, that's pretty much the Crocon live show. <laughs> it has, you have to be the one band where going to see live, especially in Dublin, feels like, you know, you're on the set of Braveheart or that TV show Vikings. It looks unreal. And it's great. Like in recent years, a lot of the crowd are coming in with the blue face paint and we're seeing guys coming in and kilts and battle. So we, we, like the gig last month. So we had a ton. We had the reenactment group. But there were so many guys in their own Celtic and Viking costumes, we literally couldn't tell who was who. Like, who's here to see the gig and who's here to actually do the performance with Joffrey Drenger? But that that was awesome. Like, you know, I'm on stage. I think there's about 250 
people there, which in the grand social that that's rammed, you know, that that's like, you know, that that's a good crowd for the grand social. I remember looking out and just every second face had the the blue face paint on. It was amazing <laughs> to see it. Yeah, yeah. And if you think of all the gigs you've played over your career now, is there one that sticks out as the most perfect experience you've had? Um there's you see there's been there's been so many great gigs. Um, like we played Banderstadt Festival in Ukraine. That stands out purely. The performance was fantastic, but there was, I think, five or 6,000 youths there. It was, a, it was a festival for teenagers in Ukraine, and it was just after the Crimean invasion, and things were a little bit weird, and we just gave it socks. We had uh, our piper, Alex, who plays with us. He, he would play with us when we play Russia, Eastern Europe, Ukraine, and stuff, but like, I don't think we'll, I don't know if we'll ever play Russia again, the way things are. Um, but he was playing like the Ukrainian national anthem and all of these thousands of, of kids. I say kids, they're all teenagers. You had to be over 16, I think, to be at the show. They're all singing along. And I think there's a video out there where it happens. You could just see us kind of, oh, God, this is amazing. Like, this is, this is unbelievable. Um, the, the shows on 70,000 tons of metal are just next level. Like that whole festival, the, the cruise ship coming out of Florida. The bands that are on there and the crowd it's it's unfair to pick that because you could literally get up on stage and just bang a triangle for half an hour and the crowd will go <laughs> insane for it because it's just everyone's in party mode but though they, they really stick out the seven seventy thousand tons of metal is an experience if anyone can can get there i i, re- I can't recommend it highly enough we're lucky to have done it twice hopefully we'll get to do it a tour time but yeah it's incredible incredible experience And, you know, I always say you have to have the good with the bad. So is there a gig that maybe everything went wrong and how did you overcome it? Um, We've never had that level of just disaster, thankfully. We've had moments, like I remember on stage in in Chile, we did a a tour of South America a few years ago. And in Chile and Santiago, it was about the size, I say a smaller venue, but in Dublin, the Grand Social is the Grand Social. In Santiago, it was the size of the Grand Social, but you expect when you're on tour, you're playing these huge halls and so on. Yeah. It was a smaller venue. The stage wasn't um, too big. And I was right up front with, with the crowd. But there was a bit of a, a barrier fence type of thing. Everyone's going wild. We're getting into it. And I remember just sticking my guitar, out, you know, that kind of pint in the guitar. And everyone grabs it. And then the strings are gone. Bam, bam, bam. Oh. Like, oh, oh, man. Like, <laughs> rookie mistake. Like, why Why did it? But then you're thinking, like, why would you do that? You're here to see a band. I'll just grab the guitar knowing. It'll yeah. at, least, at the least put it out of tune. At the worst, break the strings. But um, we've had some funny moments. Way back when we started, uh, we played the Heineken Green Energy Festival down in Galway. And it was an inter- we were playing there, I think, with Anuna and Sharon Shannon and a few others. This was back when we had a manager, which led to the Shane McGowan kind of uh, collaboration. But it was before the Middle Kingdom album. So this is before 1999, I think. God, the memory's getting a bit fuzzy. But the way they did it, you play a couple of different stages. So we played open air in Air Square, which is great. You know, a few people were there um rocking out but some of the heavier stuff mixed with the newer stuff that ended up on the middle kingdom it was it was a it's a weird time but in the heineken green energy festival there's lots of pubs and venues just are, are part of it and they'll randomly be assigned the band so we were playing i can't remember the name of the pub it was like just an old man's pub and i remember setting up just looking like it's about 20 or 30 just our lads and you know, maybe the odd couple here and they're out for a quiet night. And I we're setting up and I'm going, This is this is this is not this is not going to go well. I think we into the second song that we could just see everyone getting up and leaving. It was like three or four people by the end. The barman's like, you're, you're 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 killing me, you know. It's like one more song and get off the stage. Oh man. <laughs> so yeah, that that was a memory. But no, we've never had any major, major disasters where like so many things went wrong just little moments like that that you, you just deal with and adapt i've never i've never had a string break on stage apart from that time in chile i've never been in the middle of a song that like that's literally never happened i suffer with migraines um and late luckily later in life they've got less and less and less powerful and less frequent but back when i was in my 20s when i got a migraine 
everything stops. I have to get into a dark room and just lie down. And I always dreaded that happening on stage. It, that never happened. Like, I've never really? had a migraine strike me down on stage. I'm saying all this now. I'm literally <laughs> like just the omens. Like, what yeah, am I doing? I was but, thinking, I hope you're not I'm, jinxing yourself. Touch yeah, of wood. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I've actually wondered because I get bad migraines as well. And I've often thought, well, my worst fear is like going to a gig and getting one. But being on stage with all the lights and everything, you'd imagine yeah. it would really screw you up. Absolutely. And I get the, that whole aura thing where you yeah, lose the your vision and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I've had migraines where I'm just playing the guitar. I look where my hand is. I can see nothing. And, it, you know, if you look away like this, you can see it in your peripheral. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm lucky. I, I definitely did do one festival where I had a severe headache. Um, and it's probably from being on the beer. It was a hangover. I it wasn't a migraine because there's no visual stuff. Hmm. But I remember when, when I was doing the vocals, like blah, 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 and that kind of intensity and pressure in my head. Every time I stopped, there was just a, a throb and like, oh. oh, then I'd sing again and the throb would come back. It was awful. But I, I would, you know, for me, a migraine would be 10 times worse. So luckily hmm. I've never had that. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you don't anyway. And, uh, you know, Pre-show and post-show, how do you psych yourself up before going on stage? And then afterwards, how do you wind down? A lot of people have that. Like, I look at our drummers. Drummers definitely have to build themselves up physically and they're tapping away. And uh, I've, I've never really had to do anything like that. I, I probably have one or two beers beforehand. And at a Dublin show, I'm just a ball of stress because I am I arrange everything from, you know, people coming in float for the merit the, the coat hangers to put a t-shirt in to hang up on the wall like everything <sighs> yeah. and we get the backdrop up before the drums are done so I, at a Dublin gig i'm arranging everything i'm running left right and center um here there and everywhere i meant to say but um so then it, it, it's like a moment of calm when i get up on stage it's like oh thank god the gig is start i'm playing i can actually <laughs> relax up here now yeah um afterwards the wind down is, is I, I know it's different for a lot of people. A lot of people get adrenaline. I, I The likes of Kim, she had a big adrenaline rush and she needs a lot of preparation. I've never had that. I just get off the stage and, and immediately just regular Keats back in the room. And, really? And that's it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and you're talking like we played like the likes of the Hellfest gig where we were playing the kind of one of the smaller tents. So there's 10,000 people there. We, we were 10,000 people were rammed in. Apparently we're told another 5,000 outside trying to look in and that was an amazing experience but straight away after that i probably on my phone playing pokemon go you know <laughs> that type <of> thing. <laughs> you're probably the only musician who could probably go to bed straight after a gig and actually go to sleep then <laughs> yeah yeah well at the dublin gig um so we had kim and her boyfriend is johan the, the main guitarist from amon Amart. yeah so he came over we spent the weekend together after the Dublin gig, we had an hour and then we all like in my car, they were staying at my house in Westmead. So my experience with the Dublin gig was no drinking. This was like a month ago, one month ago, no beer, no crack. And then driving an hour and 10 minutes back to Castle Pollard and it was 2 a.m. when we got here and I finally go, I deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and, you know, back to the band then, away from the concerts. What has been the biggest challenge you'd say you guys have faced and how did you overcome it? Biggest challenge was definitely recently during COVID when pretty much the entire band left the band. Um, so it was that so we had four members. We'd bass player, drummer, second guitarist, violin player. So the bass player, we just kind of, it, it didn't he came on, he, he was only in the band for a year. It it just didn't didn't work out. He left at the beginning of 2020, a mutual type of thing. So we were looking for a new bass player. That's how Joe, uh, the old drummer, came in. Uh, so Joe's quite new. Our drummer, Mero, was moving to Sweden in 2020. Again, okay, this is all happening at once. Uh, he was trying to find a way to stay in the band, and we were looking at maybe flying over. But it was a whole new move for him and the family. Um, and what can you do? If it was a guitarist, you could probably make it work. The drummer, you'd need for rehearsals. So in the end, his, his move was delayed because of COVID 2020, and he got to record the last single um, as that kind of band unit, the Hawthorne, which is on the new album. <clears throat> so Dr Mero was going, we had to replace him. That's where we found Tom. Um, and this was all around COVID, so it's very tough to do anything. Then we recorded the Hawthorne 
And there was arguments took place with Kieran and John. Now, John is a violin player in the band for nearly 16 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we finished the recording of the, of the Hawthorne. Then I remembered, oh, we're meant to have some bagpipes and, and whistles from the guest that's playing, scheduled to play on the new album. This is part of the new album. And there was a bit of argument. No, we said it's finished. And I was like, well, okay, we can just add this. Just, you know, wait. And there was a little bit of argument. And John and Kieran left the band. Now, that was just a little catalyst. Kieran was kind of done with playing live. He'd he'd he'd, he'd lost the kind of fuel and he, the fire for it. He wasn't interested. So I I kind of knew it was on the cards for a while that he's he's not into it he's he's leaving this this was barely an argument it was just a conversation that we weren't agreeing and in the end when we heard the hawthorn with the whistles and the bagpipes it was beautiful john ryan i think his main reason was he was l- probably more into being more creative he wanted to have a more of a lead role and it just wasn't going to happen in Kruokon. um it's it, it he needed to find something where he'd be the driving force or something like that. Or he probably just said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm done. Maybe it's time for a new challenge. And with Kieran and John, there was no falling out. There was no arguments. It happened. Uh, we're still great friends. We're still really good friends. And we've had both of them up on stage since they left the band at the 30th anniversary. I think that was two years ago. So that was the biggest challenge in the sense that four members were gone. And I have brought four members into the band during that period, during COVID. I, essentially, now Joe was in. Joe had joined on bass, so he was with me when all of this happened. Uh, when John and Kieran left, so I had two. But essentially, I was trying to train up four people at the same time. And it's funny that happened during the height of COVID, so it did give us the time and the kind of um, the space to do that. So a lot of people probably would have looked at that period, and I said it in interviews. They probably would just, would have just called it a day. Said, oh, "This is this is too much." And that was tough, you know. We're going bringing one new person on board is tough. Bringing them up to speed, but doing it with four at the same time near was, impossible. Oh my god, it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And luckily, they're all great musicians. Now, unfortunately, Dave came in on second guitar. That just didn't work out. Um, Dave's a lovely chap, but it, it just Krukon didn't work for him. And we tried; it didn't happen. Um, but we're sticking now with just the four piece, uh, one electric violin bass and drums that that's what we're doing now so yeah we we got there in the end and managed to get you know the highlight album of our career out of it and for me personally because i went through such adversity such a nightmare period it's like this has to be the best album i don't want to do a new album and it's crap and people say oh you should have just called it a day when everyone jumped ship yeah so yeah. i was like i was delighted <laughs> that no it's actually gone the other way it's the best album yeah we've ever exactly done. <laughs> exactly how do you balance your your personal life with demands with the demands of being in a band especially like crewcon you know such a big band well so i've got a pretty high profile day job like it's a really white collar business career that i have and i've had it for a long time now everyone else in the band that that left, we've new members in now, but they were quite the same. John Ryan had a pretty important job as well, and um, so we make sure that's one of the reasons why touring can't can't happen. Like about three or four years ago, Ailstorm asked us to support them on a two month tour of Europe. I'd I, I'd hate it, but I'd love it. Just the the kind of it, it looks great, you know. Wow, we're out on tour with with Ailstorm, really good friends of ours. Um, around the same time, Arcona, the Russian folk metal band, did a month's tour of the US. Again, asked us to do support. And no, we, we can't, we just can't do it with our day jobs. It's it's just impossible. And that's nothing to do with me not liking touring because sometimes I'd bite the bullet and say, this is too high profile and um, the thing to turn down. So there is a lot of balancing. Um, a lot of the shows we do are festivals. So we're getting out there maybe on a Saturday, we take a little some of our vacation days to make these work if we can make a festival a couple of festivals on a friday saturday sunday we don't have to cut too much into the vacation days but um yeah we do have to base everything around the working kind of careers because we all have pretty much full-on jobs so there's a lot going on and like crewcon's not a hobby i mean it's 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 a full-on thing it's always it's something i'm proud of something that i always work at but Question always remains: What if I went full on Krukon, forgot the day job? Like, where would we be now? We would would we be huge? Would we be where we are? Excuse me. 
Um, it's always a question, you know, you know, can I do, could I, if we did the six months of the year, five months of the year touring, and we did it for the last 20 years, it'd be interested to see where we were, where we are. Like El- Eluete, we're a, we're a small folk metal band influenced by us, and now they become one of the biggest folk metal bands in the world, living off their music. Ailstorm, um, again, like I know Gareth from Ailstorm tells stories of, you know, sleeping in rehearsal rooms, not having much money. Now they're living off the music. So there's a bit of a gamble. I've never had to do anything like that. I've never had to live with Kruokon as my source of income. And that could be the reason why it's lasted so long. I'm not depending on every album to make a big ton of money to pay for mortgages, to pay for electricity. So, yeah, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Is it even a question of what would it take for you to go full time with Kruokon? God. At this stage, it's it's just too late. You know, there's no way I would go full time with Cruelcon. Um, it would. I mean, it would take a, a shit ton of money. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've got I've got a mortgage. Um, I've got two kids, got a family. I've got my girlfriend, and she has two kids. So there's a lot of people there. You know that. Yeah. I just couldn't take it. And you know, I work in risk management. That that's my career and business continuity and IT disaster recovery. That's one risk I just was never willing to take. You know, I'm far yeah. too sensible. Um, and sometimes you need to take risks. And it's it's the risk takers that excel, but it just wasn't me. And I'm happy, you know, I'm happy to have done what I've done with Cruacon, but still have a comfortable life and a successful career. What can I say? Like, Yeah. The other thing that I was dying to ask was, do you ever come across anyone in your day-to-day, nine-to-five, and they're like, ain't you, you know, Keith from yeah. Cruacon? Yeah, a, a lot of times, yeah. Because, <laughs> um, you know, the company I work for, there's like 55,000 employees all around the world. I've had a few, you know, on Microsoft Teams meetings. Right. Kind of a, uh, and a PM will come in, are you? <laughs> or that type of thing, or a random email from a, co- not, not from a colleague, just, oh, I've seen your name mentioned, and oh, it's so cool. And, and, and just curiosity, asking like, because probably like yourself, they think Kruokon is such a full-on, like, I'm out, like mm. how do you balance this? And it'd be the same thing. I'd say, well, my career has to be the priority, and Kruokon is something I do alongside it. That's that's just the way it is. But yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Like, when I when my company was a much smaller company before mergers and acquisitions, we were based in Dublin. Uh, my boss was a Kruokon fan. Like, he'd be looking to get merch, <laughs> and he'd be coming to the gigs. Like, it was really, that was awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> Would have been good for getting days off. So here, I'm just a gay guy. Can I have the day off? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'd think. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, legacy then. You know, in say 20, 30 years time, when you look back, what do you hope your legacy is? I think we've already set up our legacy. Like, there's no question that when you look at the genre of folk metal, it's hard to look at that without seeing Cruelcon credited as either the creator or the the co-founder along with Skyclad. Now, there were bands that had folk parts in their in their metal, like Battery in the 80s. Um, but we are definitely credited. There was a book published, um, The History of Folk Metal, where it literally calls out Kruokon as the first real true folk metal band, acknowledging Skyclad and what they did, but also saying that they were mainly folk. Their, their first album was a trash metal album with two songs that had folky parts, whereas we were the first band that went full tilt. This is folk metal. It's all folk mixed with metal. So I think we have a legacy there. Um, as I won't say we were the founders. I always say it's us and Skyclad together. They're there. They are going longer to, than us. But it's hard to, to add any other band to that. So I'd say Kruokon and Skyclad founded the, the the folk metal scene. So I mean, that's a legacy. It's very hard for any band to actually say they you know they founded a really big big successful genre. I mean, there's millions of these tiny little makey uppy genres you can. You know, Italian pasta metal or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but no, I'm right there. I, I helped found folk metal. So that's pretty cool. I'm really, really proud of that. I was hoping you'd say that. All right. And before we dive into the last couple of questions, then future plans that are set in stone, anything you'd like to share with us? Um, we've, I mean, apart from the, the live appearances and working on a new album. No, I mean, that that's really it, isn't it? For, for metal bands at the moment yeah. or for, um, Let's see what happens with Eurovision. That could change everything and anything that we know, but we'll we'll wait and see. But no, we've got some really cool festivals. We're playing um 
Ooh, Ragnarok Festival, a really cool German fest. Um, we're off to, we're actually meant to be off to Mexico again in March, but there's, I'm hearing there's some issues with the festival. So that may not be happening. And there's a couple of other, I just go, oh, there's a, oh, we're playing Celtic Transylvania in Romania. That's a cool festival as well. Um, and one or two others. And we're working on a few more appearances for next year's as well. So, you know, next year's going to be a great year for us. Plus, we played Sligo for the first time this year, and I think it was so successful. We'll be playing Sligo and Dublin again next year. So, oh, brilliant! Looking forward brilliant. to that. Plenty to look forward to. So, yeah. And uh, right, we'll dive into the last couple of questions. These are random, odd music questions, but I'm intrigued to see your answers. If you could see any musician or band from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? There's a few that popped into my head, but um, honestly, it'd be Michael Jackson. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I love Michael Jackson. Uh, I know all the controversy. I'm not even going to go into that, but I just, yeah, I, I've always loved Michael Jackson and his music. Um, I think I got more into him when he died than I would like just got obsessively into him, into his music, not into him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making this worse. I watched all his concerts from like the 80s and the 90s and just, you know, it got into a routine where I'd watched him with my my daughters and my brothers and like it was almost like a Saturday night few beers watching a Michael Jackson concert. I'd love that. I'd, all, I'd also love to see Johnny Cash live. Um, and I'm a big fan of ABBA. I know none of these are metal, which is kind of bizarre. <laughs> a big fan of ABBA. So I actually got to kind of achieve that last year. Me and my girlfriend went to London to the ABBA experience. We oh, seen the, the hologram live show, and it was amazing. Like I, I came out feeling like, I've seen ABBA live, finally. <laughs> um, yeah, that was really, really cool. Oh, man. It's weird. Something I've noticed is, you know, you could have the biggest metalhead or rock star or, you know, and you ask him that question. And he will say Michael Jackson or ABBA or, you know, just things you will not think of. Yeah, yeah. Like my day to day music, the biggest genre, what I listen to all day is classical music. That's that's my obsession. I'm always in the concert hall in town looking at the RT Symphony Orchestra. And here where, where I live in Castle Pollard in Westmead, we had a beautiful string quartet recently up in Tully Nanny Castle. So for me, that's 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 my happy places seeing some live classical music i love it it's, it's just amazing i like it i like it here's where the odd part comes in if you had to spend 24 hours locked inside a room with any musician from history who would it be niccolo paganini there you go there's the classical music right there. <laughs> he was a crazy egocentric violin player and virtuoso but i always describe when i Describing him to friends, I would, just, I would call him the Joe Satriani of violin. He is incredible. Like if you were to just Google Paganini and look, at you'll hear just little, 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 you'd be like, oh my God, I, I know what you mean. It's like this incredible. And his symphonies and his um, a few little, I can't remember what they're called, the little tiny pieces where he's on his, just playing on his own. Um, the If you remember the South Bank show in, in London, mm. he used some of his music. Um. But they're, they're very difficult for orchestra to, orchestras to play. You have to be at some really high level of violin skill to be able to actually do his his piano or his violin concertos, that kind of stuff. He is incredible. But he was meant to be a bit of a dick. Like, really, just he knew how good he was, you know. And I, I'd just love to have a conversation with him. I'm not sure what language. I think he was Italian. But um, if you could speak English, I'd love to just get inside his head and just see where did this come from? Because at, at that period, I think it was the late 1800s. It was just, you know, you didn't have that. Kind of, it, it was, Mozart was the closest and everybody knows like Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. They know the story. They've probably seen the movie, which is not 100% accurate, but they know the confidence in his skill and ability. Paganini is not up there at that kind of level of, of like well-known, but my God, I think he was technically and skillfully he may not have may not have written better melodies than Mozart, but just the technical ability that that guy had was just out of this world. So I'd love to have an old conversation with him. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Kind of outside the box as well. I wouldn't have, there wouldn't you have go. been expecting it. <laughs> <clears throat> and the final one. So now I've been told this is near impossible. What song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Oh, yeah. Um. 
I mean, there's so many. There's so many. And like, I love the Muppets, you know, Jim Henson's Muppets. I love them, yeah. like, obsessively. My daughter always laughs because when she sees Miss Piggy put an update on Facebook, she'll know straight away there's a love heart from me and a comment saying, oh, I love you, Miss Piggy. Just, you know, that's me taking a piss more than anything. Mm. And, oh my God, you know, Rainbow Connection by Kermit the Frog? Yeah. It could be that. <clears throat> I love that song. I just, it just means so much to me. I'm meant to be this heavy metal dude. I'm talking about Kermit <laughs> the Frog meaning so much to me. But then there's Andrea Bocelli. I always thought the song Time to Say Goodbye, oh. his version of that song, Time to Time to Say Goodbye. I always imagined that at my funeral, but I've heard it at so many funerals because it's just a, you know, time to say goodbye. But it's, it's just a beautiful song. I don't know. It's very, very difficult. Yeah really can't and i bet you everyone answering are throwing out multiple songs at you <laughs> no one that could go yes it happens it's this one. it happens yeah <clears throat> few can't set on one but or even if there was an album can you think of an album now yeah it could be the johnny cash stuff the, the stuff he did with um uh, rick rubin the the, the latest the american, stuff when he was, yeah, yeah the american recordings the, the album that has hurt i think is american four mm. it's an incredible album but then getting into the metal stuff, right back to like Carcass, Symphonies of Sickness, that was a defining album for me. Like, people in, when I was in school, crazy into Carcass, and people like my nickname was Car Crash because like I just kept going on about Carcass so, so, so often. Symphonies of Sickness, um, some of the Iron Maiden albums. Yeah, but yeah, it's, that's a tough one, man. Right, right. We'll leave it there. So right. listen, Keith, it's been an absolute pleasure now. I've really, really enjoyed the last hour chatting with you. Thanks a million. You're welcome. Very welcome. Hey,
guys. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here.